Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. Thank you, Father, for raising Christ from the dead. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for these words. Just breathe them into our lives. Give them power. Help us to live out what it really means to be a resurrection people. In Jesus' name, amen. What's Easter mean? Or to put it more biblically, what's the resurrection of Jesus mean? Without Easter, without the resurrection, we would have the wrong view about Jesus. Without the resurrection, it would be just another sad story about the tragedy of human corruption, the power of evil empire. The little guy gets run over by the corporate steamroller. Rustic, popular prophet from the backwoods of Galilee sets out to challenge the twisted religious system managed by the elite in Jerusalem who have capitalized on religion itself to line their pockets in collusion with their powerful Roman overlords. But what the rustic prophet proves ultimately to be no match for the plots and machinations of the dominant corporate elite. It's yet one more pathetic uprising that glimmers hope briefly for the oppressed but is crushed by the iron glove of the political wizards and big money. An unknown rebel gathers a massive grassroots following and tries to stick it to the man, but finally loses in the showdown and his movement fizzles, followers dejectedly scurrying back to Galilee with the tails between the legs. Scoreboard, the system, one, the little guy, zero. But wait, that's not how it turned out. Without the resurrection, we would never have heard about Easter. We would certainly not be here today. To tell the story of Jesus without the resurrection would be to convey totally the wrong idea. In this particular game, God's grace won big time. Grace is something about which we can sometimes get the wrong idea. Harvey Pennick is one fellow who had the wrong idea for a brief time, but to his surprise found out differently soon after. Harvey Pennick was a golf pro whose biggest success came late in his career. He's best known for his little red books on golf. In reality, Pennick never wrote with the intention of making money. In the 1920s, Pennick purchased a red spiral notebook in which he recorded his observations on golf. He kept this notebook for decades. In 1991, he showed his notebook to a writer and asked if he thought it was worth publishing. The writer agent told Harvey he thought it could be published and agreed to help him find a publisher. A short time later, the man sent Harvey a letter telling him that Simon & Schuster had agreed to publish it with an advance of $90,000. The next time these two met, Harvey was troubled. He told the agent that with all his medical bills, there was no way he could advance the publishing house that much money. His agent had to explain to Harvey that it was he who would be receiving the $90,000. The book was titled Harvey Pennick's Little Red Book, and it sold more than a million copies. Harvey had the wrong idea. He was troubled to think he'd have to fork out thousands of dollars to get his notes published. But in fact, it was the other way around. God's grace is like that. Without Easter, without the cross and resurrection, it would all depend on us, and we'd never make it to heaven by our works. 
but the resurrection is God, God's stamp of approval on Jesus offering himself as a sinless sacrificial substitute for us, meaning we can be forgiven. We can gain eternal life simply by putting our trust in him as our Savior. That is grace. That is gift. That has a lot to do with what Easter is about. So the resurrection helps us steer clear of getting the wrong idea about Easter. What's Easter mean? Uh, here are five things Easter means. We're not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Or you could go there, but it's all through the New Testament. Here's the Apostle Peter helping unpack for us these five things as we continue on in his first letter to the church. First, Jesus is exalted and empowered. Wasn't it great to witness a couple of baptisms last Sunday? We pick up Peter's letter where he's explaining the, the motor behind the saving power associated with baptism. It's nothing special about the water itself, but the sovereign Lord Jesus in whom the person being baptized pledges their trust. First Peter 3.21 Baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It's the resurrection of Jesus, what we're celebrating on Easter Sunday. It's the resurrection that saves us, not our good works. Easter means Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to God's right hand and is in the position of power in the central control room of the universe. Angels, principalities, and powers have to submit to him, have to be subject to his control. The author of Hebrews comments, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. The Sanhedrin and King Herod and Roman governor may have succeeded in eliminating Jesus' earthly body from Palestine, but he arose a glorious spiritual body that confirmed his resurrection for 40 days amongst his closest followers and then ascended to be with our Heavenly Father. And what's he doing there? Watching Netflix and sipping sodas? Did you catch that last bit? Now to appear for us in God's presence. His ministering for us didn't end at the cross. He intercedes for us at the Father's side, Romans 8.34. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. How cool is that? So what's Easter mean? Easter means Jesus is exalted and empowered. Second, Jesus is our accountability. The last half of April's here, so Canadians are busy getting our receipts and tea slips from last year to the accountant for CRA's day of reckoning approacheth. But there is another accounting we must one day give, one for which no receipts will be accepted, and Jesus is involved with that. He is now our accountability. 1 Peter 4, 5. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We understand part of God's very being, the Trinity, or three in one, became incarnate and walked among us, getting tired and hungry just like us, experiencing all our normal human temptations and emotions, but remained perfect and sinless, and so became qualified to be 
our judge. He was in our shoes. Jesus said about this, uh, John 5, 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. But Easter reveals that after the most painful of executions humans have ever devised, that body could not be found in the tomb after the third day. Resurrection is God's miracle, indicating Jesus is the one to whom we must one day give account. He will judge the living and the dead. Paul wrote in Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Are you ready to stand before Jesus' judgment seat? CRA is one level of accountability, but how will you fare under God's scrutiny? Are you fudging any entries in your moral life? Is your conscience clean? Have you applied the cleansing blood? In the cross. For those who are in Christ, judgment is not something to fear, but to anticipate. Peter wrote in 1.13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hope in his grace to be given you. Jesus is our accountability. Jesus gives our life purpose beyond our own skin. What's Easter mean? About Jesus being exalted, empowered, and our accountability. Easter also is about three things Jesus gives us. He gives us purpose, direction, and strength. Christ gives us a reason for being here larger than ourselves. He gives us purpose for our life beyond our own skin. Note the last part of verse 11. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that here indicates purpose, as in why does God provide strength? For the purpose of God being praised through Jesus in all things. And Peter even adds a little tagline doxology for emphasis. Glory and power are due to Almighty God forever and ever. Our lives are not supposed to be about just how wonderful we are ourselves. Our lives are not about showing off on social media what an exciting vacation we just had or our shiny new acquisition or even how delicious the burger is that we're currently devouring. Our purpose in life is far bigger than that, far more than harvesting the likes of our contacts. God has designed us as his creatures to be most fulfilled when we are bringing glory to our creator and redeemer, when we're building his kingdom, using the gifts he's given us in a way that captures others' attention and points to his goodness and excellence. Last Sunday, Scotty Scheffler won the 86th Masters Golf Tournament. Now, you may think I'm really into golf. I'm not, but those of you that are can probably uh, click on this. Uh, Sheffer has a bigger purpose than just to win golf tournaments and make a name for himself. Golf.com reports Scheffler's answer when asked about his work-life balance. He said, it all goes back to my faith. The reason why I play golf is that I'm trying to glorify God and all he's done in my life. 
So for me, my identity isn't a golf score. Like Meredith, that's his wife, told me this morning, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, she goes, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. End quote. Did you catch Scheffler's sense of purpose? Jesus has given him a purpose that's larger than just his own skin. He said, the reason why I play golf is that I'm trying to glorify God and all that he's done in my life. Christ explained to his disciples in John 15, 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. By bearing fruit, we prove we are followers of Jesus, and our Father receives glory. We're shining a spotlight on him, making him look good. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves, but to him. John wrote in Revelation 1.5, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Our response to Easter's freeing us from our sins is consciousness of being a royal priesthood serving God. Jesus gives our life a larger purpose beyond ourselves. Fourth, Jesus gives us direction and outlook superior to base human passions. We humans are created, sensate, earthy beings, mind and body with all the impulses and urges and hungers and needs that go with being walking, talking material organisms. We have drives that are rooted both in our inner body chemistry, like hormones, and factors catching our interest from outside, smell, sight, taste. In an affluent society like ours, it's easy to be persuaded to spend our discretionary money and energy seeking out the next thrill, the next gourmet meal, the next sensation that will maximally reward our nervous system with pleasure. But God has designed us for a higher plane of life than an earthworm or amoeba. Peter is very upfront about what it's like to live in secular culture. When your view of eternity is obscured, it's easy to just live life looking forward to the next high, to getting wasted on the weekend as a means of coping with the monotony of your day job. 1 Peter 4.3 says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. What's wrong with you? We're all going down to the bar. Why don't you come along? Think you're too good for us? Or, have you tried this? My friend gave me some and it was something else. Come on, you'll like it. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. Everybody's doing it. Yes, it's a choice. It can be difficult, like you're fighting to swim upstream against the prevailing culture. Pagans choose to do such things because it gives a temporary fix, even if the long-term consequences of such habits drag one down and get in the way of more worthy life goals. But apart from eternity, if there is no resurrection, the way the Apostle Paul characterized it in 1 Corinthians 15 makes perfect logical sense. He said, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
There is logic for you. Peter highlights that Jesus gives us a new attitude, direction and outlook superior to our base human passions. 4.11, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, that's the cross there, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Hmm. Attention is clear. Which will it be? Human desires or what God wants? Jesus did not choose the cushy, pleasurable, pain-avoiding way out. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured what was hard and shameful so that he might be qualified to be truly the author and perfecter of our faith, perfecter, finishing it with us. Paul is very blunt about the outcome, what it is for those who choose those pleasurable, debauched human desires. He is talking in Galatians 5 about the, the works of the flesh. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you before, as I did that before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You want God's best, his kingdom? And those baser urges have to be ignored, passed over for something better in the long term. Become passionate about God's will. Locate yourself in Christ. Paul put it in Romans 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If Jesus gives us strength to be gracious. Christ provides us with purpose, with direction, and with strength, the power to carry out what he's drawing us towards. It's not like the Lord says, there's a humanly impossible target, now get over there on your own steam. He graciously provides help to follow him. Verses 8 to 11 list several imperatives that ought to characterize our new way of life in Jesus. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. What's commanded here? Love each other deeply, offer hospitality, use your gift, serve with God's strength. That love each other deeply is in the above all category, as Peter frames it. After all, Jesus said that was his new command. New command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if... You love one another. That will be our distinguishing characteristic as Jesus' followers. Hmm. But loving doesn't come easy, does it? 
Maybe it would be if everybody else weren't so blatantly imperfect. As Peter notes, love covers over a multitude of sins. But that takes forgiveness, grace, long-suffering, immense patience. When that person lets you down for what seems the hundredth time. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Literally, friendly to strangers. But it's so much easier to be friendly to people who are like us. With our own group, we know what we can talk about. We can pick up the conversation where we left off. We share values and a history. To walk up to that stranger and strike up a conversation takes courage, nerve. To expend energy on something that might seem like a waste of time if we don't hit it off. Or when you feel your relational quiver is already full to bursting. But we were strangers, misfits, when it came to the kingdom of God. The Lord reached out and drew us in, sinful history notwithstanding. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Erin County has an initiative investigating what it might involve to provide help to refugees from Ukraine. Will that be an opportunity for us to somehow share what God's given us and show hospitality? Uh, there's a link in your e-bulletin. There's another virtual session coming up this Wednesday, and uh, you don't even have to leave home if you want to find out more about it. Jesus gives us strength to serve using our gifts. Verse 10, NRSV. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. I like that. God's grace to us is manifold. Many splendored, multiple varieties, takes many forms. It's not for selfish consumption, but for us to steward or administer faithfully by putting it to use, serving others. And we do it with the strength God provides. Philippians 4.13, one well worth memorizing, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. getting the whole message across. In summary, without the resurrection, the event of Jesus' death would have conveyed the wrong meaning. The resurrection puts the stamp on the victory Jesus won for us at the cross on Good Friday. What's Easter mean? As Peter outlined, it means Jesus is exalted and empowered. Jesus is our accountability. Jesus gives our life purpose beyond our own skin. Jesus gives us direction and outlook superior to base human passions. And Jesus gives us strength to be gracious. Those give vibrant meaning to Easter, to what Jesus' resurrection was all about. But our follow-through is also important in showing the world what Easter really means, beyond bunnies and egg hunts. Love each other deeply. That shows, marks us out, distinguishes us as his disciples. Use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Instead of cocooning with your favorite hot drink and time-gobbling pastime, that too will make you stand out from your neighbors if you're using those gifts to serve others. People can tell if you're really there for them or if you're just antsy to finish with them and get on to the next project. 
as we live out God's manifold grace with the strength he supplies, that too will prove what Easter really means. The message won't be truncated. General Wellington commanded the victorious forces at the great Battle of Waterloo that virtually defeated Napoleon. When the battle was over, Wellington sent the great news of, of his victory to England. Now, they didn't have internet back then. They didn't even have telegraph and that. So a series of stations, one within sight of the next, had been established to send code messages between England and the continent. The message to be sent was, Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. Well, meanwhile, a fog set in and interrupted the message sending. As a result, people only saw news of Wellington defeated. Later, the fog cleared and the full message continued, which was quite different from the outcome that the people originally thought had happened. The same is true today. When many look at what happened on Good Friday, the death of Christ, they see only defeat. Yet on Easter, at the resurrection, God's message was completed. The resurrection spelled victory. And the Holy Spirit continues to pour God's strength and grace into our lives in ways that give Easter positive reality and meaning in people's lives. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the victory over sin and death won by your Son at the cross. We praise you for your mighty power shown in raising him from the dead, seating him at your right hand until that day we render account before him. Help us not to give in to temptation to base human desires, but instead to know your will and be generous in sharing the grace and gifts you've given us. May people see your hand at work in our lives and start to appreciate your goodness and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.